Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I am so thrilled to have with me my good friend, Jeff Livingston. Jeff is a former journalist who writes and has authored four books. Most recently, he published his first novel, Exodus, and that came out in 2013. He co-authored Marketing in the Round, and he wrote the social media primer, Welcome to the Fifth Estate, which is about how to create and sustain a winning social media strategy. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Jessica, how's it going? Great. Jessica, and... Yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeff, we've been friends for a while now, and I always value your insights. I've loved watching how you've evolved over the years, and the short bio that you gave me doesn't really do you much justice, because you're really a true innovator and a change agent. I'm really curious, what is it that drives you to constantly feel the need to evolve? Uh, I don't really know. I just, <laughs> I just feel uh, an innate desire to continue to do cool things. If that makes sense, like I, I have a, a sense of curiosity and a desire to, to, to take that next step. Like, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, so you think it comes down to curiosity and just having a desire to learn? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I remember. Hemingway wrote this uh, crazy thing about his writing and why he continues to write and how he's able to produce how he was able to produce as many novels as he did and he said it's kind of like you're possessed right every time you wake up uh, the demon's back in your head and you're ready to go some more and that's kind of how I feel about uh, uh, my own stuff I, I just constantly have ideas in my head on what to do next and it's really uh, for me, the challenge is to become uh, disappointed. I uh, try to get myself to a place where I can uh, choose the ones that are going to be uh, successful and enjoyable. So what does that look like for you? You said that you constantly have these kind of demons inside of you and you're finding ways to spit it back out in beneficial ways. What does your I guess, process look like? And I know that's such like a cliche thing to ask a writer. What does your writing process look like? But I'm just curious, do you have a process and and how do you channel your creativity? So lately I've been more uh, focused on photography than actually writing. Mm-hmm. But for example, tonight I'll be uh, going down to Washington, D.C. for a networking event. And I will most definitely be bringing my camera. So just trying to think of uh, spots around there, which would be a good place to get a uh, sunset pick, that kind of a thing. And, you know, I've been uh, thinking about it all afternoon <laughs> and I don't know why. It's just, it's just sitting in my head. I knew you before you turned into this amazing photographer um, and this was like many years ago when, frankly, <laughs> your photos weren't all that great. Um, <laughs> I can say that because I watched the true transformation happen before my eyes. And your photographs are absolutely breathtaking now. What was going on inside of you that made you challenge yourself and want to become a photographer? 
Well, I've always kind of liked photography, and I've always liked the visual arts. And uh, uh, when I was a kid, I also uh, found myself uh, in art classes and was doing very well. And then uh, uh, actually pulled out at a, when I was about uh, 14, 15, because my uh, parents encouraged me not to do it. They thought I'd be a starving artist in Brooklyn or something. God forbid, right? Right. So, But I think sometimes that uh, you can't really stop people from being who they are or what they are, no matter what. So I've always had that kind of um, love for the visual. And I honestly feel like a lot of my creativity uh, kind of burned itself into my writing. And writing just became a, a channel for that creativity. Um, so, so I was messing around with cameras for a while and uh, stopped really using uh, my camera when I got a, a small micro four-thirds camera and I didn't really like it very much. And then my grandmother died and it was a pretty ugly family affair. And I just said, uh, and she was very, very big into the arts. And I just said, F it, I'm going to start shooting. And I'm going to really start shooting and I'm going to really challenge myself to go to the next level. And that was about two years ago. And uh, that's that's really what happened. you know. And from then on in, it's been pretty much... Uh, game on. I remember chatting with you during that time and there was a lot of turmoil going on, I think, with your family and stuff. I knew something was brewing inside of you and I and I love seeing kind of the benefits of what that what happened from that time. What was it about your grandmother and her love of the arts that really I guess got under your skin and made you transform into a photographer? Well, you know, there was like nothing good about that situation. I mean, it was it was brutal. Uh, there, I still don't talk with a good portion of the family as a result of what happened. Uh, people stole money. Uh, the consequences are still being felt from that. And it was like the only positive direction I could could turn towards. I felt like you know, and I just said, you know, I'm going to turn this into something. Positive. I'm going to do something great with all this negativity, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna bleed on the lens. And how do you find that you bleed on your lens? Can you put that into words? Just by trying to take the best emotive photos I possibly can, like, and to get continually better. I'm still not done, you know. I mean, like, I just finished up that 365 full frame project where I was publishing a photo every day, but I'm not done. I, I like next week. I'm going to Santa Fe and I'm like getting trained on how to use lighting. I'm going to Photoshop world in August. I mean, I, I just, you know, I am, I realize I'm kind of so, a sophomore when it comes to creating really strong visual art. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like I have a lot of room to grow and I, I get a lot of joy out of it. In one of your recent blog posts, you write, the great challenge for us as communicators is maintaining a constant state of learning. Only then can we transform. And like you mentioned, you're someone who has transformed over the years and you constantly learn. And I've thoroughly enjoyed watching you learn. What does it take to transform and to evolve, not just as a business person, but as a human? I think, yeah, you have to be completely prepared and ready to embrace things that are new that are impacting your life and to be prepared to uh, see the subtlety of change that's occurring around you. Uh, 
So if you're not paying attention to the people around you and how things are occurring around you, then it becomes difficult to be evolving technology and how it's impacting us. And so it's really, you have to be uh, present and not stuck in your ways. You mentioned technology as a way to evolve. What is the greatest challenge, in your, in your opinion, what is the greatest challenge of technology today? And how can we as you know, business people, as humans on this earth, use technology to transform? Well, I think like the reality is you have to transform the way that you're um, using technology to get whatever it is you do done. I don't know if you want to necessarily transform who you are, but you have to definitely transform the approach or what you do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you're a communicator and you're used to faxing out press releases, and today reporters are on Twitter and they're looking for uh, very popular crowdsourced photos, videos, and infographics to accompany their story, you better adjust. And that's a complete change of approach. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't really know too many people who still have fax machines, but surprise, surprise, new and better ways to communicate today. <laughs> yeah, always. There's always something. At the same time, I, I really try not to get stuck on uh, – and it's hard. I mean, it's a balancing act. I try not to embrace tools that are just a waste of time. And there are a lot of those. So, like, yet another messaging app or yet another calendar app uh, I mean, unless I see a bunch of people using it, I'm unlikely to start uh, getting engaged with it. And I think one that I saw recently this year was like Brewster. I saw tons of people getting on Brewster. I've looked at it once, and it's like a contact profile. It just seems like a nightmare. Like, here's another social network, basically. It's just another Plaxo, another uh, LinkedIn, um, and... It just it looked like a nightmare to me. I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> so you have to be careful. I'm not saying that Brewster is a bad app if that's what you're using, but to me it just seemed like uh, a distraction. It doesn't have anything to do with what I, I actually try to achieve, which is communicate better using media. There's really such a need for specialization in your work, uh, especially today. You know, when there's so many people distracted. What are some ways that you are specializing in your work and how can this specialization be applied to various industries? From my standpoint with that particular aspect of it, um, what we're starting to see is that people uh, are asking us for hybrid content. So they want the written story, but they want the photos too. You can't yeah. only leave one out without having the other. You can't leave one without the other. And the other issue that's happening is that people are really, really, what's the right way to say it? Um, people are, are realizing that they cannot succeed online without the visual media. I mean, it, it's almost impossible to publish a blog post and not have great visuals in it and see it take off, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I think we're always kind of looking for ways to express our ideas. And I think the visual media is one way to do it in addition to the written content, for sure. Speaking of writing, you wrote a novel. Well, you wrote many novels, but your first novel took you 19 years to write. Yes. Why was the writing process so challenging for you? 
I think my self-esteem wasn't at a point where I was willing to let this thing go and publish it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I, I just I could not do it, you know? And uh, eventually I did. And uh, it took a long, long time to be ready to sell it. But um, eventually I got the courage to do it, and I self-published the book. And I think it was really – I had to realize that I wasn't going to get a uh, – a traditional publisher if I was going to successfully publish the book and I had to uh, uh, be prepared for that and I was and I, and I did I went out there and uh, published it and it worked out okay and why did you choose to write a novel what, what was it inside of you that chose to write this novel instead of another uh, nonfiction book this one I uh, had in me since college and uh, my third business book, Marketing in the Round, was uh, you know, it was a good book from a financial standpoint in the sense that it won me clients, but it really left me unfulfilled personally. And uh, I've always wanted to write a novel, again, getting back to that creative thread. Mm-hmm. And I, after that book, I just said, I'm not writing another one of these until I write a couple of things that I want to write. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, to me, when you write a business book, it's really something you're doing to drive your business literally. Um, the value or the payoff of writing a business book is uh, is actually very little from a financial standpoint. It's in the clients and the positioning that you get uh, some payoff. And I feel like, in particular within our sector, there's so many Me Too books right now that for me, if I was going to write another book, it would have to be it would have to be unique. And I just don't see anything that's been really special or unique recently that's wowed me. I, I feel like if I were to write a book, it'd be just to to write a book, and that's just not interesting to me. I, I want to say something. I want to have a good idea. I want it to be unique and valuable to people. Otherwise, why bother? The struggle is real. <laughs> yeah, it is, and you know, it's not to deprecate people that are writing those books because sometimes people need a message told to them in a very specific way, or by a specific person to believe that message. And so in that sense, those books are successful. But for me, again, like I said, I've been around a long time. I've already written a few of those books. Uh, For me, the book has to be something that's unique or something I really, really want to do, or it's an idea that I really want to get out in the marketplace for me to to want to do it. And your new book, Perseverance, is definitely that. I mean, it's unique and it's really different in terms of your writing style or, or in terms of how I've seen you write online. Um, this new book took you about two years to write, and you said that the editing process for this one was a lot more gruesome. Why was this the case? So so I had a lot of people that liked the first book, Exodus. This is the second book in that series, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I wasn't happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, it took me 19 years to be a perfectionist to finally get this thing out. But I learned a lot about the book publishing process, the novel publishing process, I should probably say. And I felt like I could put out a better product. And so I, I, I was unrelenting about it until I did. Mm-hmm. And so I literally had five professional editors go through it. Did that hurt a lot, seeing your work chopped up like that? Or was it just you knew that it needed to be done, so you were happy with it? Well, I wasn't going to release it until I was at a state where I liked it. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, what was most frustrating about it was there wasn't any one thing that was really bad about the book. 
it, and it wasn't any one thing that was really bad about Exodus. It was more, um, geez, it, it was more like really small things. Like, uh, it's just not reading completely tight the way I want it to read. It's got a couple of grammatical errors still, or it's got a little too much tell and not show in it still. Or the way these ideas are, are pictured, there isn't enough, uh, 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 background to let somebody really imagine this scene. So it was really about um, taking something that was probably a B effort to an A effort. That makes sense. You talk about Marshall McLuhan in one of your recent blog posts, and he is the one that coined the term, the medium is the message. With the many platforms that are around today, do you think that this message still holds true, or have we evolved beyond this saying? No, I think the medium is absolutely the message. Now, I think more so than ever. I mean, when McLuhan said that, what he was talking about basically was how much media is shaping what we do in every way. And uh, that has absolutely changed um, since his time in the sense that a, a big medium change would happen every like five, ten years from now. It happens for us every year if not sooner. Mm-hmm. So like, you look at Periscope and Meerkat, they weren't even on our radar, what, five months ago? Right. Mm-hmm. And now we see people that are creating their own unique platforms, their own unique social visibility, their own unique businesses based on those platforms because they're first and they're owning it. And in that sense, because they are doing that, the medium is absolutely not just the message but who they are from a business standpoint, at least. Yeah, but there's so many different media assets today, and they come and go. So if your whole identity is built based around one media platform, what happens when it disappears? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, and it's a great question. And I think like that's, that's really where you have to come down to being able to uh, offer a value proposition that extends beyond the platform, but that can meet the platform. So let's talk about photography. Great photography translates in any medium. should. Mm-hmm. So if you're a good visual artist in whatever way, then you'll be able to succeed in any medium. You may have to change the format or adapt your style. I know there are certain photos, for example, that I will not post on Instagram because they just look like crap mm-hmm. in a square format. But if I wanted to be very, very successful with Instagram, I would probably start shooting a little differently too. Are you going to shoot differently for Instagram? Nope. <laughs> Why not? Don't think it's going to be around in 10 years. I mean, 10 years is a long time to predict. But in your prediction, how do you think that the, that the photography medium will evolve? And why do you think that it will no longer be around? So when I look at Twitter, and I'm not saying Twitter is going to be around in 10 years either, because it seems to be really dead. Yeah. Twitter has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And it had to just to meet the evolving medium. Mm-hmm. Right. Even tw- Twitter is a good example of this, right? How to embrace video, how to embrace photos, how to embrace cards, all those different things that Twitter does. Instagram doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So when I look at Instagram, like the only thing they've added really is video and direct messages, and the video sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree, yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's like Instagram is still Instagram, and it's just at the point where people are like using their smartphones out to take pics and everybody's going to do it. But what are they going to do when, you know, let's say there really is a viable periscope or a meerkat and every idiot on earth starts to take videos instead of taking their Instagram photos. Cause to me, when I look at Instagram photography, 
it's the casual user that really makes Instagram go. It's the average mom and pop, right? It's mm-hmm. not people that are professionals. But then there is this thriving community of Instagram photographers who have a huge community. Right, but there would be the, they're the same guys that become like that Twitter expert or the Pinterest expert, and they'll go when the network goes. But you want to find a real photographer, you go to 500 Pixels. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, not to, to be their skills, but a real photographer can transcend any particular network. And I have photos that go apeshit on Instagram. So, I mean, I know I could do it if I wanted to. It's just I don't like the media. It's funny because I love Instagram and I don't like Flickr. You love Flickr and don't like Instagram. So explain that a little bit. Explain why you love Flickr so much and, and why you think that's a good medium for photographers. Flickr is actually very well tied into search. And when I look at Instagram, Instagram is not really searchable unless you're on Instagram. Instagram is a mobile phone network. Flickr is a network that transcends any device. It can be on a smartphone, it's on your computers, but it's also like in bed with obviously Yahoo search because Yahoo owns it, but also Google search. So to me, Flickr is a better mechanism to get information out to the larger network. In addition to that, and again, this is this is an audience issue. To me, like the mark of a good photo is one that gets a lot of appreciation from other photographers. Uh, I want feedback from peers, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get that on Instagram. You described a photographer as being able to transcend the platform. Yeah. What does it take to transcend a platform? You have to understand what you're saying. What is your message? What, are you, what is your story that you are telling? And if you can do that, then you know, and you know how to use a camera, that you will be able to tell a story for Instagram. You'll be able to tell a story on Flickr. You'll be able to tell a story with your articles and photos using illustrating those articles. You can create photos to illustrate those articles, in fact. Like I did a big story on the Huffington Post, and I wrote the copy after I, wrote the fo- after I took the photos. The photos actually dictated the copy in a lot of ways. What is your story? I know that you kind of have a central theme to a lot of your photography. How would you describe your story? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I am like the last person to talk. I hate talking about myself. I I really, I don't want to tell my story. You don't? Why not? I just, I don't want to be that open. I don't know. I just don't feel like I want to do it. But why? I keep prying. I'm, I'm very nosy right now. I'm just curious. Why don't you want to tell your story? I find other people to be much more interesting than I am. I think you're interesting, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, well, you're sweet. Thank you. <laughs> do you think that you'll ever want to tell your story? Or in, do you think this is just a temporary thing? Or do you think that you're just closed down for life? I think it's probably uh, best if other people tell my story. It's not for me to dictate my story. I know that's kind of crazy and antithetical in this age of here let me tell you about myself kind of almost semi-narcissism that we live in Mm -hmm. but I I just I feel really really grounded in the belief that reputation and uh, authenticity come from what other people say about you the impact that you make in their lives and I, I can't possibly understand the the positive and negative impacts I've made in people's lives because uh, I, I don't walk around their shoes, and I, I don't know if they think about me or if they think about me at all. And, and so as a result of that, uh, you know, 
anything I think of myself, I kind of almost feel like I'm a legend in my own mind, and it's not really for me to say what what I'm good or bad at. And maybe that's a sense of false humility, but also I kind of feel like uh, I'm just kind of like a channel to try to make things happen and be of service to people. And if that's what I'm good at, and if I do it through a variety of ways, uh, in whichever way seems right in that moment, then uh, then I'm happy. Oh, if only more marketers had your perspective, <laughs> the world would be a lot less noisy. Yeah, I just and maybe that's probably part of the issue. Is I I, I have a feeling that in the, I feel like a lot of people just beat their test, and I don't want to be that guy. I would much rather be a go-to person that people look to when they need something. There is a certain need to kind of promote your work in a way. So where is the boundary went between self-promotion and telling your story? No, it's a good point. And you do have to get your stuff out there. Like I do publish my photos, right? I do publish my blogs. I kind of look at it like this though. If my stuff is welcome, if it's useful to other people, then it's not just promoting myself. It's actually giving something back. So if I'm able to give stuff to people, if I'm able to be useful to other people, then it's worth doing. But if it's all about like, hey, chest beating kind of a thing, if there's no payback for the people that get involved with me or, or, or look at this stuff, then it's, it's a waste of time. I'm just basically taking. And, and so if I look at things like that, give or take, am I contributing in some way? Then I feel good about it. What is one thing that you are recently super proud about that you want to talk about that wouldn't make you feel totally uncomfortable? <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I did in the past couple of years is I stopped blogging as much. When I post a blog or I write a blog, it's something that I think is a little bit of a different spin on something and is probably unique. Otherwise, I'm not going to write it. I'm not going to write a book about like the 18 ways to be a better tweeter. It's just, it's just not there. You know, It's not really interesting and I feel like it's more noise. So I really feel like when I when I write a blog post, it's usually a gift of giving something away. And you interweave your own stories and your own personal narrative through your posts. Yeah, I, I definitely brought back a little bit of that old school personality style because I feel again every marketing blog I write to is like some horrific tutorial on how to like write an email headline, and I just don't see any value in that. People relate to experience; they want something unique and. Uh, uh, and I'm happy to deliver that kind of an article. Yeah, it's so important to really have context and a curiosity with everything that you write. Otherwise, it just creates more noise. Absolutely. And so it's kind of funny when I took that attitude, uh, my blog kind of bottomed out because I stopped uh, publishing with frequency. But now I feel like every blog I write, I've got a consistent readership. And then sometimes they take off, you know, and that's great. But it's really become something that I've started to enjoy again as opposed to something that I needed to do to uh, to be a part of the industry or to be Jeff Livingston. And that's cool. Yeah, that's super cool. I love that. You're listening really to your own intuition instead of doing what the industry is dictating. Yeah, I really stopped listening to a lot of what marketing bloggers say now. So I and you both. <laughs> yeah, you really got to do what's right for you and your business. Uh, Otherwise, you're just going to be another Me Too brand. So You are hosting an event around this topic that we're talking about right now. Um, it's really, where are we heading? Where is the future of business? Describe this event. It's I believe it's called Ex-Potomac. It's a 6-1. We're getting together uh, at the end of August, 
local DC communicators. We're talking about real issues and we have like a real conversation in that kind of mid two thousands way where uh, we have somebody come in, kick off uh, with a little bit of a speech or a little bit of a topic. And then uh, they have to answer questions for about 30 minutes from the audience. And often it turns into some really interesting conversations. And who is going to be expected at this event? Mark Schaefer is the keynote. We've got uh, Manny Grant and Jamie Nodder coming in to talk about um, millennials. We have a couple of reporters coming in to talk about how they're seeing media evolve. And then we've got this uh, guy named uh, Andy Gilman, who's known as the Tylenol man locally, who is the guy that did the uh, 60 Minutes Crisis interview. And... uh, for uh, Tylenol, Johnson Johnson did the counseling, and he's going to run a live crisis scenario in D.C. and uh, how people resolve a social media crisis on the fly. Awesome. And where in D.C. is this located? Georgetown University. Where can listeners find you online if they want to learn more about you and your work? JeffLivingston.com, G-E-O-F-F. G-E-O-F-F, Livingston.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Jeff. I always love speaking with you. Jessica Ann, it's been way too long. I'm really thrilled to chat with you, so thank you. Big shout out to my newest subscriber, Dennis Sheo, who's listening in from San Mateo, California. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter, at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.